saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFU. Well, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Thursday, July 1st. I saw someone post this morning, happy July Fool's Day. I don't think that makes any sense, but it is July 1st. And in Minnesota, that means that the summer is almost over. That's kind of how we talk here. The snow is coming. Whatever it's like for you out there, I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about July 1st coming and and what this means for you. For us, it means it's a new day and the joy comes in the morning because our Lord is in control. And we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true word of God and put on our Christ goggles as we study 2 Kings chapter 21. Yesterday, we had a day of respite from 2 Kings, and we studied the richness of reconciliation in Philemon with Pastor Reverend Dr. Phil Boo, and what a blessing that was. And now we're back to the highlights of of 2 Kings. Hezekiah had highlights and some lowlights, a, a strong faith and a lack of faith. And that sounds a lot like us which is why it's good for us, first of all, comforting to know that we at times will suffer in the same way, but also it shows us the grace of God and we ask for him to keep us on that path and to trust in him in the joys and in the trials. And today's text points us to that reality and to the gifts because the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Tice, Vacancy Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Pastor Tice, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, sir. It's a joy to be able to spend time in God's Word together with you and uh, the listeners and or those who happen to get us later after we've gone off the air by the marvelous tool of the Internet. So. Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. Actually, one of the great joys of, of the different tools that we're able to have is that I just got back from vacation in Florida, and uh, and it was it was great being in the ocean and doing those things. And what I was able to do was a number of pre-recordings this past week. And one of the, the joys with that is, you know, I was able to do that. But one of the realities, I come back and I'm like, okay, how does this all work? What do I do? And so I, I had the joy. Um, first of all, I, I forget things. And I, I have to trust people that they don't forget things like I do. So I called your church this morning and I had a wonderful conversation with your secretary just to make sure we're on the same page. And she made the comment, Pastor, uh, yeah, Pastor Tyus doesn't forget those kind of things. So what do you think? Uh, well, I, I I forget them, but then I remember them quickly. The problem is i got to remember them in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and I'm glad you did. So Pastor Tyus, tell us what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Emmanuel. Well, we have... Uh, couple of things happening, obviously, with our uh, our church work uh, together with people at Emmanuel. We had Vacation Bible School, along with a couple of other parishes in our circuit. Um, we uh, joined up with uh, three other Lutheran congregations, all within a five-mile radius of each other, and uh, wow. held Vacation Bible School together. And God blessed that this year. Uh, we had uh, 24 students, but we also were able to gather some some gifts from God's people to support one of the area pastors, his family. Uh, he had surgery to remove a uh, tumor, um, and then his his wife is pregnant, and there's some, some heart challenges for that child. So 
they, they know they've got some things lying ahead when the baby's born. So the, uh, the kids and the people of the congregations and, and those involved were able to, out of God's love, just as the Macedonians did, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then out of that flowed generosity to help uh, carry part of that burden for the pastor and his family. So we give thanks to God for the, the gifts he's given to the people of God in his word, but also in their hearts and, and their love for one another. That's then, wonderful to hear. Go ahead, keep going, keep going. Then as far as our family goes, my, uh, my wife and I are going to be blessed, God willing, and everything going as planned, which rarely happens, uh, with our four sons and their spouses and children uh, joining us at our home for uh, about a week. Uh, it'll be a, a family reunion. My wife's brother and his wife, uh, his two boys and, and daughter-in-law are going to be able to with us for part of the time, too. So it's it's going to be a great time to, to visit and connect again after months of, of separation. And in fact, my youngest granddaughter, who was born in December of 2019, will be meeting her cousins for the first time. So wonderful. Yeah, and uh, wonderful. We're, we're we're glad that we have a chance to do that, and and that travel allows us to get places quickly. You know, like to and from Florida without having to you know, ride a horse or use a a buggy or something like that. Absolutely. No, it it, it is an amazing thing, and I thank you for highlighting what's going on for your family. And I encourage our listeners, whenever our guests or something gets brought up here, add that to your prayer plate. One of the great joys of this uh, of this mission work that we do in KFUO is it connects us around the world, around the country with people. And so pray for Pastor uh, Pastor Tice and his gathering with his family and, uh, and for us to be able to do that for you as well. And Pastor, today, uh, as we search the scriptures, it'd be great for us to uh, pray for our time, but also... Just because you mentioned it, and and this is the body of Christ that's listening, and the saints of of our Lord, can you pray for that pastor that you mentioned that you gave money toward, that you collected money for, and his family, and, and during yeah, your prayer today? Let's do it. We have to do that. All right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty and gracious God, you have called us into your family. You have adopted us as your children. And by the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have made us one with each other in the body of Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, as you healed many in your earthly ministry, even raising the dead, we ask your healing hand on all who are ill. We remember especially Ted and Megan. We ask that you bless them as recovery from surgery continues and as pregnancy moves forward. Watch over and protect their unborn child. And when that little one is delivered, Use the medical care and the staff to attend and correct any issues that are known. And use him to be for them a great blessing. Gracious Father, we ask your continued strength for all your people, wherever they may be, those who suffer separation and absence from loved ones, those who suffer from lack of employment or from uncertainty about what their job and future may be. Be with the church around the world as we remember that you lifted up your people Israel, even in times when they turned against you or abandoned your truth, you remain true to your promises. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Mm. So bless our study of your word today. Open our eyes to see your truth. And by your Holy Spirit, give us joy in the gifts we have received and the future gifts that lay in store. 
We ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who has given us the sure and certain promise that he is coming again and will give us raised bodies that are without need for any further care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions for us as we study 2 Kings chapter 21, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. And this is a live program. Um, Here's your opportunity. As we know, Pastor Tice does his homework and he can answer questions on the fly. So here's an opportunity for you to call in 1-800-730-2727 or locally 314-821-0850. 314-821-0850. And Pastor, as we come to chapter 21, it, it things are kind of dragging. As we're towards the end of Second Kings. I, I encourage our listeners, encourage myself, and encourage our guests. You know, it can be, it sounds like a broken record all the time. But there is a unique aspect, I think, here is Hezekiah, Isaiah are highlighting the last few chapters, shows us prayer shows us the need for us to say thanksgiving and to trust in the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh as it speaks here. But what other highlights do you have that will help us out this morning and for, as we study chapter 21? Well, we have, uh, the thing that struck me as, as I was reading it initially was that you have here the contrast between, and, and the names of, of the kings are often instructive. What, what struck me is this is the same name as the elder son of Joseph, and the blessing was given by, by Jacob to the younger son, Ephraim. And later we have Ephraim being a, a, another name for the northern ten tribes, the nation of Israel. And, and in contrast to that nation of those who were called Ephraim, which has already been overrun by the Syrians and, and the Assyrians, mm-hmm. now we have Manasseh, who has this amazing length of reign, he reigns longer than David, longer than Solomon. He is he is 55 years as king. It was just mm-hmm. phenomenal if you think about that in in that time period for one man to reign that long. During that time, a, blo- a bunch of things happened, some of which are terrible. And then Chronicles gives us information that that Second Kings doesn't include, partly because the contrast in Second Kings was between those who were faithless and God's faithfulness in that he continued to preserve the the family of David. And that's part of what Hezekiah's line is about. It's the family of David that gets preserved, not the individual man, but the promise of God tied up in the descendant of David. So there's some instruction for you and me in the fact that Manasseh, the same name as Joseph's oldest son, who's now counted by Jacob, go back to Genesis, Jacob says, your first two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, they'll be counted as my kids. Anybody else you have later, those are your boys, but these two are mine. And so mm-hmm. we have this, this claiming of, of those who are born into one family, if you will, by another to be in that family. And you and I have been called into God's family, as I mentioned earlier. And so we have this, this reminder in the name Manassas, Manasseh, rather, that, that God calls us into his family and then does things his way. So. 
And that's really, that's really helpful because you can read the Bible and you're like, Manasseh, I've heard this name before, but this brings us back to Genesis where you have the 12 tribes of Israel and Manasseh being the oldest. And of course, uh, Manasseh is the oldest of Hezekiah's sons as well, which mm-hmm. I don't know how much we can stretch out any theological implications of this, but it is, it is a fascinating connection. And for us to keep it straight, this is not Genesis, <laughs> this is Second Kings, and we learn even more from Second Chronicles. Um, Pastor, is there anything else you want to highlight before we dig in? Uh, the, the thing that, as I mentioned in Second Chronicles, that we have a, an account of what Manasseh did when he was carried off into captivity. And First Kings just pretty much leaves that out completely, or Second Kings leaves that out completely. So I, I found that interesting that, that there's other insight we can find in Scripture about this, which we're going to have to refer to when we get mm. to it. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's dig in then. Let's open up our Bibles, and we will take off. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. And we'll be beginning uh, 2 Kings chapter 21, and we'll read the first five verses of this chapter. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord Yahweh drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places for that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord Yahweh, which the Lord had said. In Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven and the two courts in the house of the Lord. I'll stop there. So how, Pastor, as we read about Manasseh, how is he doing? Well, you know, it's it's clear that in direct contrast to his father, he's going back to the prior system of, of false worship, of worshiping the gods of the Canaanites or as they're sometimes called elsewhere, the Amorites, which covers that whole group of people. But the the key is he starts reigning at age 12. Now, his mother's name is Hephzibah. Uh, we're not told much about Hephzibah. Uh, but what we do know is he's paying little attention to what his father did. At the mm-hmm. age of 12, what does he remember about his dad's reign? What kind of things did he observe? And now the real question, what kind of teaching did Hezekiah give to his son Manasseh to prepare him to reign over God's people and to be a spiritual guide for them? We don't know the answer to that question. What we do know is Manasseh emphatically goes the other direction. Partly that's, I'm going to chalk it up to him being 12 years old and young and foolish, and maybe, just maybe, he was going to be his own man, and show people that he wouldn't do things dad's way, which would be really foolish in this case, but very human behavior. The other thing, just for those of you who pay careful attention to musicals through the years, the name Hepzibah shows up in the movie Seven Brides for Seven Brothers when they're talking about what if the last one had been a girl instead of a boy, and they were thinking of names like Hannah and Hepzibah for the next child in line there. Um, But just you want to know where Hephzibah comes from in the Bible. This is the place. For those who watch Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and say, I never heard that name, 
this is it right here. Okay. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great quote. Uh, reminder to our listeners, too. Here's something for you to look up. Say it again. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Yes. Seven Brides for okay. Seven Brothers. Yeah. All right. Now, now we know <laughs> you learned something new. I was, I was reflecting on this. You know, clearly the twelve years old uh, situation is uh, troubling. Not as troubling as a seven-year-old who took over as king. You know, before our text mm-hmm. today, but to reign fifty-five years. And I was trying to think about this. That I've known pastors who have been at a church for forty years. Mm-hmm. But never have I heard of anyone necessary over that amount of time period. And you think about how much changes in those 40 years. And obviously, you have the, the number 40. But here we have 55. And I think about the significance of this is because he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And for 55 years, they endured this. And he intentionally... It's not like he fell upon this or ignored God. It was he was an intentionally going against the Lord in this. And I was I was wanting to hear your thoughts on the implications of fifty five years of idolatry building of a lack of faith and what the effect that would have on the people and uh, in his own soul, I suppose. Well, there, there's there's a serious impact, obviously, and this is part of going back again to God's words through Moses that when they entered the land of promise, and then God shares through Moses these these words, when you follow other gods, and it's not if you follow other gods, Mm. God tells Mm -hmm. them right up front, when you do this, I will not ignore it, I will bring judgment upon you. Now, if if you're going through 35, 40, 45 years, and, and you're not seeing judgment, you begin to say, God doesn't keep his word. And this is part of that challenge for us as Christians today, when we see injustice and inequities of human behavior around the world and abuse of people by governments in different countries and malicious treatment of one person to another, as the New Testament talks about becoming lovers of self and not wanting to hear the truth. We have to keep in mind that God continues to be involved. God knows what's going on. And as um, you know, we, we get this question, uh, why is it that the wicked prosper and, and the righteous suffer? And, and the, the answer is, I will wait and see what the Lord will do. I'll wait and see what God has to say. And what God says is, I'm doing it now, but I'm not slow as some people count slowness. I am patient. New Testament uses that phrase. So I think part of what's going on here is God is allowing Manasseh to dig a hole. And the hole is so deep, Manasseh can't get out of it on his own. Manasseh doesn't know that yet. But the worship of false gods is tied in with, and if you see what he's doing here, he's placed these altars in the temple grounds. Mm-hmm. He is attempting, it appears to me, attempting to cover his behavior by wrapping it into the religious practices that the Israelites have, A, been restored by Hezekiah, and B, based on what God gave them back in the time of Aaron and the, and the development of the priesthood uh, mm-hmm. under Moses. So he's, he's attempting, perhaps, to cover all bases. He might be trying to build a unity within his country, or he might be trying to silence critics. All kinds of political things go on when you reign for 55 years, you might do something when you're young that, that's a bit rash, and then later on you're, you're looking more at the question of how do I hold power? 
so part of what part of what's going on with NASA, in my estimation, is that he's found a way to satisfy the factions in his country, mm-hmm. but it's not faithful to God. It's it's responding to the world around him and people's opinions, which is always a danger for any of us that we're focusing on how people respond to us. Uh, you know, you can't please everyone, um, and if you try to please everyone, you end up being a fool. You know, the the old fable about the the man and his son going to market with a donkey and you know the the whole question of how do you get there is how cruel to to make the old man walk how cruel to make the boy walk and it ends up that they both ride how cruel to mistreat the donkey then the men carry the donkey i mean it's just you know you can't please everybody (laughs) that's right oh and and one of the one of the realities and when you see it as 55 years i love how you said this that it it shows yes the evil but it shows the patience of the lord you know he didn't he, he was being patient with the people with uh manasseh himself as we've said really throughout first and second kings that whoever is in charge whoever the king is no matter how evil they are um the lord loved that person the lord loved that king and here we see the Lord loving Manasseh. He's long-suffering. He's patient. 55 years is a long time, no matter what the evil was. And he's very intentional. Verse 3. Uh, well, first of all, it says in verse 2, they're going back to the old practices before the, what I believe, and tell me if this is correct, Pastor, before the Israelites came into the the, whole, to the, the land of milk and honey. Before that, all the gods that were kind of being worshipped at that point had been, you know, most of them had been eliminated, but now he brought all of those back. Am I correct in my understanding there? Yes, and this is this is the key that uh, God explicitly said, when you come into the land, you shall drive out the Canaanites, and you shall not adopt their worship practices. You shall not follow the, the gods that they follow. I am Yahweh, your God. And, and so what we find here is this distinct contrast of going back to the really old, and having been influenced by the the Israelites or influenced as were the people of Judah by not just the foreign powers of Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, uh, you know, the, the Lebanon and, and Tyre and Sidon, as, as it's called later on, but also by the remnant of the Canaanites who lived among them because they did not drive them all out and they did not, under God's command, they were to destroy, they were God's mm-hmm. judgment, his action against those who would worship false gods in spite of God's truth. He used the nation of Israel to punish those nations and drive them out, but they failed to do it completely. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, as the King James Version puts it. Just a little bit of yeast (laughs) can spread to everything. Hmm. So it continues from there in verse 3, where it wasn't like he said, you know what, you guys can go to the high places, we just won't rebuild it. No, he rebuilt the high places for people to worship their various gods. (coughs) Excuse me. And not only that, but... Ahab's name keeps coming up. And this is what I found to be frustrating in this chapter is I want to be done with Ahab. You know, <laughs> I want to be mm-hmm. done with the, what he did, Jeroboam. I don't want to hear these names anymore. But Ahab sure. comes back. We have the Asherahs back. We have Baal back. Um, that should have been done with Elijah. But it keeps coming back. And then he places it in the place 
where in Jerusalem I will put my name. And that is, mm-hmm. that is a key term throughout the Old Testament, the name of the Lord. And so he not, he's not, it's not like he just kind of did this or that he did it without knowing he's doing it, but he is very intentional about this being, uh, I am now placing these next to God, saying they are the same mm-hmm. as this God. So that's why I wanted to stop in verse 5, is just to show how intentional he was acting. So last thoughts before we move on in our text. Yeah, the... The understanding, this is, uh, this, the phrase in verse 4 repeats, He built altars in the house of Yahweh, of which Yahweh had said in Jerusalem, will I put my name? Back at, at Mount Sinai, when he brings the covenant to the people, and Moses comes down and gives them the ten words, the very first thing that's given is, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord mm. your God. Mm-hmm. Because of that, all the rest of these things apply. And, and now in stark contrast. The house, which is the one that bears his name, is being treated as if, well, you shall have no other gods, Alpanay in Hebrew, before me in English, in my face, in, in vernacular. They, Manasseh is literally putting all these false gods right up in God's face, just insulting him, literally. So there's this strong contrast between the name of God, Yahweh, being used here and false gods being put up in his house, in his presence. So this is you know, just a stark reminder of what Moses had told the people. When you do this, God will bring punishment. And we see that in the later years of Manasseh's reign. Again, now mm. we're back to that Second Chronicles reference. And as we look at verse 5, that he built altars for all the host of heaven. Did you do any research on that? What are they talking about, all the hosts of heaven? Talk about angels? That's usually what we think about, but it doesn't seem this like that's what they're would, talking about. This would be the, the gods that were worshipped by the Canaanites and others around them, and mm. they worshipped the gods of the stars, the planets, um, the sun. If you want to use the word nature gods, you could. But again, they've substituted the, the creature for the creator, as the New Testament summarizes it. And so... By worshiping the, the gods of nature, the stars of the heavens, you know, how, do you, how do you tell what's coming next? Where do you go for guidance? And we see that in the, the uh, reference coming up about the altars that he uses. So that we have this, this particular understanding that all the hosts of heaven that are worshipped are all these lies that Satan brings to people. Hmm. Going back to the fact that Satan is a deceiver and will, in fact, use his power to lead people astray. You know, this is one of those things I remember uh, hearing about from missionaries who began working in Africa, that uh, as they began uh, visiting different places where the spirits were worshipped, we call that animism today, but spirit worship was practiced. And one of the things they said was they encountered people who were speaking in unknown languages, some people would say speaking in tongues, that were clearly not Christian people. And he said, the the missionary said, this was a manifestation of possession by an evil spirit. So these kinds of things would have been happening in that community as well. You know, later when Jesus comes along, there's so many people possessed, and he's driving out demons. Um, I've always explained it this way. People cannot be possessed by a demon if they don't first invite the demon to be involved. And that can happen by intentionally worshiping a false god or an evil spirit. 
It can also happen, unfortunately, out of ignorance by people getting involved in something like a seance or Mm -hmm. consulting uh, spirit guides. And and we see some of that going on with Hezekiah, I'm sorry, with Manasseh, uh, coming Mm -hmm. up to verse verse, uh, 6. But in this process, we're seeing Satan deceiving God's people by getting them to focus not on the Creator, but His creation. And that whole thing would be found here then in, in this understanding of the gods of the heavens or the hosts of heaven. It's the wrong place to worship, wrong direction to go. And that's why we pray the Lord to keep us in the right direction. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Second Kings 21 with Pastor Stephen Tice, and we'll be right back. by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis at 815 and Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Chesterfield at 1030, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. The Missouri Army National Guard can help you get the education you need to land the career you've always wanted. The Guard will pay up to 100% of your tuition for up to 39 credit hours per academic year at 90 colleges and tech schools across the state. You're eligible as soon as you enlist. Learn more about the many benefits that come with serving part-time in the Missouri Army National Guard. Visit NationalGuard.com today. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association and this station. Our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident. is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. And welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 21 with Pastor Stephen Tice. And to this point, we really have focused our attention on how Manasseh easily went back to the many idols. And I think we can really relate with this in our current culture, where it's very easy to say, well, you have your truth, I have mine. You have your God or gods, and I have mine. And we can easily fall into this, which first of all reminds us that this is nothing new, that this is something that was there, and it's also there for us today. And so, Pastor Pastor Tice, I want to read through verse 9, and because this whole this whole section, verses 1 through 9, kind of, it even gets more unpacked in these last verses. Mm-hmm. And to talk about the implications that that means for us today, um, because it is so tempting, and we can easily look at him and go, why would you rebuild this? Why would you focus on this? Well, 
we find out more about him and we also find out more about ourselves. So verses six through nine, as we finish this section. And he, Manasseh, burned his son as an offering and used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord Yahweh, provoking him to anger. And the, and the carved image of Asherah that he had made the set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers. If only they will be careful to do according to all that I commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord Yahweh destroyed before the people of Israel. So from verses 6 through 8, we hear really how much worse it got with Manasseh. So how bad did he get? It became so bad that he is involved in one of the greatest tragedies, and that's the sacrifice of a son to a false god, when that won't accomplish anything. Now, every time I come across sacrificing a child to the god Moloch, two things come to my mind. The first is a culture in which unborn children are treated as commodities to be sacrificed to the will and whim of someone who doesn't know what to do or wishes to be rid of that challenge. Now, People going through that challenge need care and support, but the solution is not to sacrifice the child. The other thing that's always pointed out for me is that the real sacrifice of the son is not Manasseh. It's God the Father. It's the wrong son being sacrificed. Uh And and the, the total futility of sacrificing the wrong son is highlighted by this particular account. He's done evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking Yahweh to anger. And and this is a key thought. He's finally provoked Yahweh to answer, to anger. He's dealing with mediums and necromancers, all the things God said not to do. He is looking for spiritual help in all the wrong places. And how un, how much like him many people in our world are today, and, and you and I can fall into that same trap if we're not careful. We don't go to the right source, and the right source is simply God and his word where he's told us he will meet us and he's got great gifts and great promises. What he doesn't promise is he will tell us exactly what's happening next. What he does promise is he tells us what happens in the end. And Mm. part of the problem is we're not patient enough to wait for the end. We want the answer right now. And, you know, the Habakkuk's very simple. Why do the wicked prosper and, and the righteous suffer? God, aren't you involved with the world? Don't you know what's going on here? And then his answer is, I will wait and see what the Lord will tell me. Patience is a great challenge. And part of, part of I think, Manasseh's problem was he wanted answers right away, uh, partly because he was young when he started and partly because everyone around him seemed to be succeeding. The northern kingdom of Samaria, capital city, Ahab's line had been done in. And at the same time, He's going to follow the worship of the gods of the northern ten tribes who have already been defeated. He's not learning from the mistakes of others, which is the definition of a truly wise man, I've been told. 
you know, a wise man <laughs> learns from his own mistakes. A truly wise man learns from the mistake of others. But anyway, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think what we're going through here is God has said, I will keep you in this land forever as long as you keep the commandments I gave you. But they did not listen, which means what? They're going to get to leave the land. Their feet will wander away. And that happens specifically with Manasseh. But uh, we'll, we'll catch up with that a little bit later uh, when we get closer to the end of, mm-hmm. of the chapter. It's fascinating in verse 9. Well, first of all, it says they did not listen. And that's a common theme throughout the Bible as well, that mm-hmm. it wasn't so much of the actions, because actions tend to happen. But if, if he says this is what is wrong and there's no repentance, it, the, the lack of listening shows a lack of repentance among the people. And then he mentions that Manasseh and what he did and the people, what they did, they now have gone completely back to before the Israelites went into the land of milk and honey, um, into the promised land, the, the people that were there that are not seen as really faith, uh, they're not faithful people whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But now you have the people who have the promise, the name of the Lord is in that temple forever. They, uh, they said, you're my people. Now they are at the same level of the old Canaanite. To me, this mm-hmm. is probably one of the more darker parts of all first, second king. And let's be honest, you know this, there's a lot of dark parts, but this that line there almost made me yeah. feel the most darkest of all of it. So any thoughts? Yeah, yeah I think I think that it's showing that when they try to do it their own way, when they try to do it by any method other than the one God gives them, the people of, of Israel, Judah, the, the nation of God's people, fails. They, they may have political power, they may have a 55-year year reign, and that in human terms looks like success, but it's abject failure. And the same is true for you and me and for the Christian church today. If we're trying to come up with a positive outcome, but we're not following God's word to do it, no matter how good it may look in the eyes of the world, it will not be the outcome God desires. And and boy, it's so easy to fall into the trap of of judging our accomplishment by worldly standards mm-hmm. and you know if you look at a business and it's successful and it's making a profit and manufacturing something that that has a good reputation there's nothing wrong with that but that doesn't mean it's god's approval it means it works well in the created world first article system but when it comes to the church the church can't operate with the assumption that approval from the world or successful standards applied to business mean we're faithful to God and his word because God's word doesn't call us to those things. It calls us to humble ourselves, to come to him, receive his gift of forgiveness, and then give him thanks and praise. And our lives then become a witness to God's grace among us as opposed to our success, if you will. So, But I, I'm just thinking again, as I mentioned, with, with Manasseh. He is successful in the eyes of the world around him, but Second Chronicles 33 tells us it didn't stay that way. God sent judgment. And we'll find out a little bit about that in the next couple of verses. 
I want to highlight this one one uh, reality and what you're saying, and I, I, it relates in this way. This past Sunday, one one reality as a pastor is that you're not able to re-worship with your family. Um, you, you're up front, they're sitting there. I have four kids. You have four kids. Our wives had to endure many Sundays where they were outnumbered um, in hordes. So anyways, so this past Sunday, we were able to worship together as a family a very small congregation, very faithful congregation in in Florida. And we got, and it was just phenomenal. Pastor had a great sermon. He spoke exactly what you said. God doesn't tell us what happens tomorrow. This is where we get so tempted um, to want to listen to those who can predict tomorrow. He tells us about the end. And he had a great sermon on Mark 5, the end. And and this tells us about the woman who was bleeding. It tells us about her healing, but it tells us about the ultimate healing when Christ returns. Mm -hmm. I mean, those is wonderful. Great hymns, great liturgy, great everything. And we got done. And one of the cool things I was able to say to my kids, and they did great too. Wonderful people we spoke to after church. Um, Everyone was it was just, it was great. I, I can't say how much how great it was for pray for mm-hmm. your pastor when they're able to worship with their family. It is so much fun. And we got done and there must have been maybe 20 people there. Not a lot uh-huh. of people at church. And one of the comments that my one of my children just said is, you know, there weren't many people there. And and I just mentioned to them, just think about this, though, is that if we were to go to a church of 300 people and it was packed full that we receive the same gifts and the same um, forgiveness, life, and salvation that they would have received. Was it different? Worldly standards would have said, well, they're successful, they're not. But we have the joy of saying where the word is and the sacraments are and the gospel is purely proclaimed, you receive the same gifts. And to me, it's so easy to sit in church and go, wow, it's so cool. Is Look how many young children they are. Or look at this or look at that building or look at all of this. When we forget what we're actually receiving is that the, yeah. the pure the pure gospel and the gift of his word and the forgiveness of sins, we received the same thing and left with the same comfort that they would have had there. That's one. I think that relates in the idols we can build when it's the same mm-hmm. gift and the same joy. So any last thoughts before I move on? No, that, that wraps in with what we were looking at with uh, Manasseh's earthly successes, 55 years of reign and spiritual Oof. disaster. Absolutely. So let's continue on, Pastor. Uh, Now the Lord speaks, verses 10, and we'll go through all the way through verse 18. And the Lord Yahweh said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore says the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line in Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to their enemies. Because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very, very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other besides the sin that had been made to Judah to sin. So that they did, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh 
and all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon his son reigned in his place. Things go from verse 9, which are very dark, describing how bad they were. Now we hear of the implications of what will happen and then Manasseh's de- de- demise after 55 years of really evil leadership. What are some highlights you have of this very dark time in the, in the uh, history of Judah? Well, what, what God is saying is, I'm bringing upon them such disaster that everyone who hears of it, their ears will tingle. This is mm. going to be if I can use the term, a world, worldwide phenomenon when Jerusalem collapses, because it has been for a couple hundred years since Solomon. One of the highlights of, of that whole region is the, the nation on the top of that mountain and the, the temple that they have there. God keeps raising up kings who do wonderful things, and, and yet if you look at the economic strength and power, and, you know, this is... There's no major river in Judah. There's no trade. There's no trade possible shipping. None of that can be done. And yet, they continue to be a significant impact in the world around them. And now, what God is going to do is He's going to use a measuring tool, the plumb line, if you will. Plumb is the Latin word for lead. So, if you have a plumb line, it's got a piece of lead on the end of it, which is, by the way, mm-hmm. you have a plumber who comes to put lead pipes in your house to run the water. Okay, we don't do that anymore, yeah. but we still call them lead pipe guys. Um, and so you, you use that use that line with with the lead on it to give you a true measure. Gravity works; it does its job. Human eye can can detect something offline, but that plumb line is is certain. Well, God used the plumb line when He measured and calculated Ahab was out of line, and God lined him back up. Mm. Same thing's going to happen with Manasseh. And this is, in fact, one of the things that we're told here. The rest of his deeds are then written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. And in, in Second Chronicles 33, we're told that God allowed him to be taken captive by the king of Assyria. And he was taken away from Jerusalem, just as it says here, I will take them out of the land. That happened to Manasseh while he was still king. And while he was king, he was taken captive. And now he's no longer in the place where everything looks great and rosy and his success is suddenly not there. He's empty. And when he is empty, Second Chronicles 33 tells us, he called upon God and humbled himself. After his terrible behavior, God used his imprisonment and his deprivation to open his eyes. He humbles the mighty and brings them down, and then he lifts up the humble. And we see that in Manasseh. It's not here in in Second Kings, but it comes out when you go to Second Chronicles 33, so that when he returns from his captivity, he turns things around and undoes what he did structurally with the altars and the Asherah and, and how he had corrupted the temple. What he can't undo is the years and years of influence on the people of the community who he misled and misserved by false worship and introducing false gods. He personally receives a restoration and forgiveness, but the nation will still suffer the consequence. And this is, you know, kind of of like with Hezekiah and and his request Mm. for more years of life. God says, okay, I'll give you more years of life, but your descendants are still going to be wiped out by the enemy. So we have this 
this recurring theme of God rescuing the family of David to provide the Messiah who is coming later. Even though the nation is in great distress, God retains the promised heir to bring David a son who will sit on the throne forever. This is another reminder. There's always a chance of God, God's grace, I guess you say, getting a hold of somebody. That even Manasseh, who's the most evil and really led people to the most evil of all of Judah's history, that the Lord is faithful to his covenant, even for someone like Manasseh. And if he's faithful to him, he can also be faithful to us. Now, this is this is something, this is pure conjecture. And I want to hear your conjecture, <laughs> if you will. Sure. It's interesting to me that that is highlighted in Second Chronicles 33, which is a fascinating read compared to what we have today. Why would the, the writer of Second Kings not include that? That seems to be a very encouraging aspect here. Any conjectures or thoughts you have on that? Yeah, I was reflecting on that myself as I, you know, had looked at, at Second Chronicles and said, okay, why didn't this make it into Second Kings? What was the writer doing? What was the Holy Spirit guiding the man who wrote these words to do? And I think the answer is is what I've hinted to at least earlier is that this this uh, book this first section of the first and second kings is about both the northern and the southern tribes uh, split up and how everyone who tries to do it their own way messes up the people of Israel and to include the repentance of Manasseh would lose the focus on God being the one who is keeping his word as all the people fail and and this is again my personal conjecture that the writer of first king or second kings is not including that because the purpose of this particular volume was to shock the Israelites into realizing how terrible their behavior was and how faithful God is that he brings them back from captivity. Uh, yeah, and that's and that's very helpful um, to think through. Like you said, pure conjecture, we are not saying thus says the Lord, but something for us to look at all of Scripture and to be able to come to the fact of, once again, pointing us to the Lord, not to the great insights of Pastor Tice, right? This is good Absolutely. to the Lord of how, and I love how you ended it that way to show them, one, the implications of our sins and how that can affect a whole group as pastors, as as people, as parents, as uh, family members, as people in the neighborhood. I guess you even go as far as that. And also the, the, the long-suffering and patient Lord that we have. So we have about eight minutes left here, Pastor. Let's get to Am- Amon, and uh, hopefully it gets better. We'll see what happens. Verses 19 through 26. Amon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Amesh Shulamith, the daughter of Heras of Jodba. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord Yahweh, as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord Yahweh, the God of his fathers, and he did not walk in the way of Yahweh. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and put the king to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. 
So we go from 55 years to two years, mm-hmm. and we have much of the same um, dynamics. And uh, there's some other interesting thoughts in this. What do you have for us today? Well, the two things that jumped out at me is the servants conspired against him. Remember what we're told about Manasseh, he shed very much innocent blood, and he was consulting necromancers, fortune tellers, omens, etc., etc., mediums. Now, what the people are seeing is that Amon is doing exactly the same thing his father did, which to me at least implies he walked in all the ways of his father, which means he consulted these spirits and, and false prophets and false guides. And the people said, we watched your dad do this, and we saw how it harmed us. We will not tolerate it again. Now, that's my my interpretation of this, but clearly they did not want the same behavior pattern that they had seen in Manasseh, and it looks like Amon's going exactly the same way, which, you know, you think about it. Um, Amon was born when when his dad was, was 45 years old, and so he's he's had 20-plus years of watching his father do this, the big contrast we see is after Amon is put to death by the people. The people rebelled. The people said, this isn't leading us in God's way. We can't take this anymore. Now, is it proper to kill the king? I would say no, but the Lord used that to, to remove this man and place on his throne Josiah, his son. Now, as I look at that, we're told that Amon abandoned Yahweh, the God of his fathers. Mm-hmm. Because remember what I said about previously his dad, having come back from captivity, had restored the right worship and had removed the false idols and the altars that he had put in Jerusalem. He, he cleaned the place up. But Amon now rejects that, abandons Yahweh. He did what his dad did prior to repentance. And the people gave him the chance to follow the reforms his father had introduced. And he didn't. And then they, they said, that's it. We're getting rid of him. So um, I, I see this as God used the Assyrians as a, a judgment on Manasseh to bring him to repentance. And his son had the opportunity to see and observe. And Amon didn't. He abandoned the Lord and the people were used by God to bring judgment on him. So God, God does not ignore sin. He deals with it. But he chooses the way and the time. And it's very helpful as we see this, and it's very helpful as we look at Second Chronicles chapter 33, is that clearly Amon would have seen his father's repentance. He would have seen his father's uh, renewal, if you will, and for whatever reason didn't want to follow it. Maybe he looked at the land and said, well, you know, I mean, he had a lot of success. I mean, it seems like everything's going very well out there. He has control. People seem to be happy in their high places. And he's had, you know, he, he lasted 55 years. So I'll take that part. And continue with that. And the mm-hmm. part where dad repented over that, well, dad was kind of, he wasn't really with it towards the end of his life. So I'm just going to kind of deny that. Um, and what it lends up is his servants uh, got rid of him. And yeah. now it looks drab. And this is why I wish, Pastor, that we could study <laughs> chapter 22 together. Because the darkness that seems to just cover us throughout this time mm-hmm definitely see some wonderful light in chapter 22. But we have to stick with chapter 21. Any um, any last thoughts? We have about a minute and a half here until our end. Pastor, what are your, how would you summarize this chapter and what it means for us today? Well, I think what's, what's in, instructive for you and me is these two men who are both described as 
doing the worst things in the, the nation of, of Israel, descendants of David the king, they're not buried in Jerusalem. They're both buried in their family residence, not in the king's graveyard, if you will. I don't know if there was such a thing, but they're specifically buried in their family home garden, not in the place where other kings are buried. They are excluded from the burial place because of the misguidance they gave the people of God. I think it's, you know, it's one of the instructive things that we're told where, the, where people are buried. Partly it's because you can go and see their grave. You know, it's not David's tomb with us to this day. But these guys weren't buried there. They were, they were excluded. Now, that's the judgment of the people. That was the choice, perhaps, of the family. But the other thing is, when you get right down to it, God is still bringing up a king who will be his servant and do his will. In spite of the failures of these two men, Manasseh for most of the reign and then in the later years of an improvement, Amon, virtually no reign but all disaster, God is still bringing about something good for his people. He's bringing about something good for you and me. So as we look at you know, the nation of, of the United States and some things are disrupted and other things are destroyed, we recognize that God's still here and God is still at work. He calls us to be faithful and to trust in him and to share his word with others so that he can do the work that the word does. We don't have to accomplish that work. We just have the word to share, and the word will do the work. Pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri, bringing us God's strong word from 2 Kings chapter 21. Pastor Tice, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you. It was my pleasure. God's blessing with you and all the people of God. I hope you have a a pleasant and joyful celebration of the Independence Day of the United States and a reminder that God gave us the country we live in and he'll preserve that which is right. Saints of our Lord, it is a good reminder today. God does not tell us or promise us what will happen tomorrow, but he does promise what will happen at the end. He does not call us to sacrifice our own children because the sacrifice has been done by the one Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. For that we know the end and we trust in him every day. For we may have not joy at night, but we have joy in the morning knowing our Lord is with us and his forgiveness is real. Um, I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.